Publisher Podcast, episode 14. This is such a great interview with E. Danielle Butler. It was recorded two years ago for the Women in Publishing Summit, and back then we were talking about diversity in publishing and still talking about, I should say, and representation and um, support and why it's important for diversity in the publishing industry. Um, The conversation is particularly relevant after all the things that happened in 2020, but um, it's, it's, it's a shame that we've been having this conversation for years and can't seem to get ahead, but I think it's starting to happen. I think um, especially when you see all of the amazing women in our lineup in the Women in Publishing Summit, you can you can start to feel a bit optimistic. This year, we're talking still a lot about diversity and why it's so important because the message still needs to get out into the world. So I hope you'll listen to this Um, If you're not a woman of color, I hope you'll listen to the words carefully and hear the underlying message, which is just that we have more in common than what separates us. And when we come together and support each other, everyone wins. And I hope that's the message that you hear. I'm so excited about E. Danielle Butler coming back again this year and talking about how to write a children's book that can inspire change. And um, what a phenomenal topic, right? Because for children's book authors, isn't that uh, often the goal to either help them learn something or learn emotional uh, skills or life skills or all of those things. So um, enjoy our last presentation together. Yesterday, we had a big meetup of a lot of our speakers, and it was such a thrill to see not only E. Danielle Butler, but a whole lineup of beautifully diverse women and um, those who identify as women coming together to to talk about our experience in the publishing industry and to share our knowledge and to share our resources. And I just, I was so excited just having that hour-long meet and greet, getting to know them, getting to talk to them and hearing their stories and what amazing content we are bringing. So let me remind you, if you haven't grabbed your ticket yet, they're on early bird until the end of the month. It's $97, which is $100 off the full ticket price. Grab yours because we're already networking. We're already together in the Facebook group. We're already forming relationships. I'm already dropping training. In fact, we have a training coming up on Tuesday about how to sell without feeling icky. So it's sales techniques from a sales coach to help people who aren't necessarily trained in in sales feel more comfortable with it. And that's exclusive to ticket holders and membership Um and, and members of our program. So um, it's going to be a great training. I hope you'll grab your ticket, womeninpublishingsummit.com. And even if you're not ready to invest in that today, go on over and check out our upcoming events, womeninpublishingsummit.com forward slash events. We have upcoming free events, free webinars, free training. Of course, you have this podcast and the Write, Publish, Sell YouTube channel um, as well with a bunch of tutorials and, and things to help you in your journey. So I hope you'll enjoy this this interview with Danielle, um, with E. Danielle Butler. I, I enjoyed, I always enjoy speaking with her. She is a beautiful soul and um, I'm so I'm so glad to be able to call her a friend and colleague. Have a great day and enjoy this episode.
Welcome to the Publish Her Podcast, a place where you can come to get inspiration, motivation, help, encouragement, and support in your journey to write, publish, and sell your book. Hosted by Alexa Bigwarf. Cause I've been where you've been And I felt what you're feeling And I don't wanna get in your everyone. Welcome back to the Women in Publishing Summit. Today we're going to dig into a really interesting topic and one that I personally love to talk about, which is really um, this, this idea of bringing forth marginalized voices as an overarching umbrella. We're going to dig deeper into that with what diversity looks like specifically in the children's literature space. So this is a really interesting topic. We have, uh, by the way, I'm Alexa Bigwarf, host of the Women in Publishing Summit, and your friend and partner in learning all things about how to get your books published, sold, marketed, uh, all those wonderful things. So today we have, you know what, I need to pause here. So today we are here with E. Danielle, who has given me permission to just call her Danielle for the, <laughs> for the purpose of this recording, this interview. But she is... Um, a mompreneur with an affinity for writing and the arts. She believes in the power of words and the magic of imagination. She published her first book, Mood Swing, 21 Days to Peace, Joy, and Freedom of Mind in 2014, which sounds like a book most women need. <laughs> for sure. <laughs> yeah. Since then, Danielle's published works have expanded to include the creation of children's a children's book series inspired by her own two children, The Adventures of Zoe and Zachary, and a devotional for mothers, Thoughts and Prayers for the Postpartum Mom. Oh, another really, really important book. Uh, Danielle is also the founder of, is it Evie Danny Books? or Evie? That's correct. Okay, Evie, Evie Danny Books, an independent publishing and communications agency. She has helped support the release of more than a dozen titles and assists independent authors in navigating their PR and marketing journeys. So, you know, in the publishing world, we could just say that you're like my sister from another mister. <laughs> yes, let's do it. I'll be her today. <laughs> awesome. No, this is great. Um, we have a lot of parallels in our in our stories and journeys. So this is awesome. But this is a topic that I find really interesting, especially in the last few years as the doors have just been like busted open and we're starting to have conversations that people weren't having before. And sometimes they go well and sometimes they do not go well at all. Mm -hmm. So my goal for this conversation is to be as open, honest, and frank as possible in a way that helps people who have may maybe never thought about this topic think about it in a different way and really see how it's important to consider regardless of your background, ethnicity, Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. But also, I think it's super important to like provide hope and um, and assurances for people who feel like the 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 mountain is really hard to climb. Does that sound good Absolutely. to you? Absolutely. I think it's going to be a fantastic conversation. Um, man, we didn't decide on like a safe word or something. I think we should just dive in and ha and have it happen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I don't. I don't usually get very um, controversial, so it should be okay. Like I'm, uh, <laughs> but if I cross a line, uh, let me know. No, <laughs> um, no, absolutely not. I, I, I welcome the conversation. I think it's important um, that we as women have the conversation mm -hmm. because I, I feel like we have a, a big push in how the rest of the conversations take place around the world. You know, from from my perspective, I think that sometimes. Uh, 
the it's it's um it's a little bit awkward because I don't want to say anything that is t taken the wrong way or hurtful or perceived as me being a way that I don't mean to be when talking about it. And it's it's a very interesting environment right now because you have this like. Um, you have an environment where I think there are people that want to be advocates or allies, as some people mm -hmm. say, but we don't don't necessarily know how to play that role without looking like we're trying to take over that role. You know, this is a conversation that I've been following and seeing with some of my friends who are who are thought leaders it, um, as women of color and who are getting out there and asking yeah. white women to support them in their journeys and in what's happening and, and why they need the allies, but don't need, you know, so this is not where I intended to start this conversation, but I'd be really interested to know from your perspective, does that ring true in the publishing industry too? Do you need allies to help bring this um, topic to light? Absolutely. Um, so the book that comes to mind just right away, um, Kim Jones and Gilly Siegel released a book, I'm Not Dying With You Tonight, earlier this year. It's a I young adult book. book. Yes. And it's incredible um, because it tells how two people, and I this goes anywhere in life, how two people can be experiencing the exact same situation, but from a totally different perspective. Um, and I think that it is reflective of the publishing industry, right? Like you and I are in the space we see what's happening, but we see it from different perspectives. Um, and sometimes we just need somebody to say, okay, I see you at the table, or I see that you're in the room. Um, and if I can help you push forward, whatever that conversation is, if I can yeah. help you drive home that point, it's absolutely necessary because sometimes I know for me as a woman of color, I can get in the room and feel like, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm drowning in this and no one sees me or hears me or even knows that I'm drowning, right? Drowning is silent. Um, and I think it's absolutely important that we, we have allies in the space that can say, okay, you know what? Maybe we should hear from, from you. Maybe, you know, maybe we should just be quiet for just a second and, and hear if your perspective offers something different or maybe we are missing something. Um, I know that from books to media, I look all the time and say, was someone in the room or at the table that could have caught this before it came out and became like a media storm of something terrible? And if that person was in the room, did they feel supported enough to voice, hey guys, this may or may not go over as well as you're intending for it to. So I, I think it's more than necessary at this point to, to have allies that say your voice matters as much as mine. I have so many questions for you. So I may have to like splice this interview around in a way that makes more sense because it may be like <laughs> all over Let's the place. Let's do it. But I'm here for it. When you say that, the thing that immediately pops to mind is when, did you hear the, um, I mean, I'm sure you have plenty of examples, but the one that popped to my mind was when, um, is it Danielle Laporte launched her program called Lighter? It was called Lighter because it was, I think, if I recall correctly, like the program was supposed to help you like lift off the burdens of your business and things like that. But her, her like poster boy was literally like a light skinned African American man. And the program was called Lighter. <laughs> and this is one of those places where it's like, who? thought that was a good idea. <laughs> right, right, for sure. I did not hear about that one, but there are several others that are right along that same thing. Mm -hmm. I mean, even 
from an advertising perspective when Dove did theirs and had the young lady with the red hair, she washed, or the black lady, and then she washes her skin, and oh my gosh, she's a white woman with red hair. Like, wait a minute now, wait, wait, wait. That's not how I've experienced Dove in my life. Um, so I, I missed that, that commercial, but wow. Oh, oh yeah, it, <laughs> it was one day of, oh my gosh, and then they pulled it, you know? But I think that we have those moments in somebody that, if I had been at the table, right, I could say, hey, Danielle, I see where you're going with this. This little boy, he's bright and he looks like he has no problem in the world. But the truth of the matter is there's an underlying colorism issue that may happen within the black community where we say, well, he's light skinned. So does that make him better than me? Is he assimilating? There's a whole narrative that goes right. with that. And I think that we have to to be really mindful of that. I know um, when I worked on my first children's book, I had that very same conversation with my illustrator. I sent her pictures of my kids um, and my daughter is fairer skinned than I am. And mm -hmm. there was this moment where I was trying to explain like, no, like I'm milk chocolate and she could be like a honey caramel. And trying to explain that it was like, but they're all brown. Like I hit the brown button on my computer like no like it needs to be a clear distinction that mother and daughter not that we talk about it in the book but because that's what she sees every day and what many other kids see it's absolutely necessary that those fine lines happen if you just hit the brown button on your little computer the printer may not pick it up if it's a low quality printer or if it's a high quality printer they need to be able to see those differences yeah, that's a really interesting point. And we're kind of weaving the conversation around two major topics here. And that is one, the idea of having um, sensitivity readers, if you will, who are looking mm -hmm. things and saying, okay, no, I am, if I'm, this, I'm gonna speak to me as me, the sensitivity reader, let's say I'm sensitivity reading for you and be like, um, just cause I'm a white woman does not mean I would say that phrase or do that thing and you've got exactly. me saying that 150 times in this book so <laughs> and it goes both ways right for sure <laughs> for sure and i think that it's not even um not even just the phrases but the look right, right. like <laughs> like if it's a picture book like the look i remember my daughter looked at the book and she goes mom you look really angry at all these pictures. <laughs> and i was like me angry how dare they you know but again in, in the book that was the perception was that it was my second book Zoe gets a brother the mom never smiles in the book it's like in every picture so then it's like well do I have to combat the angry black woman stereotype am I upset that I'm having another baby wait there's so many things that can be unpacked in this when all I needed was just a smile and somebody to say, hey, did you notice that all of these pictures, mom never smiles throughout the entire book. So uh -huh. I, I totally agree with the necessity for sensitivity readers. Um, and I don't want to call them like downers, but they're necessary. Somebody to poke holes in the story yeah. from every angle and yeah. see what falls apart or comes out. Yeah. It, it was interesting. A couple years ago, I, I had a, um, a transgender male in transition. So he, he was still, uh, he still qualified for the Women in Publishing Summit, but it was a really super interesting conversation. And, um, and his point was very similar. Like if you're writing on topics of, if you're writing and you're including people in your conversation, in your book, in your story that aren't who you represent, and who you represent isn't even representative of your entire race. I can tell you that I am not a typical representation of 
a lot of different things, you know? So it's important to have those different voices to say, okay, that would never happen. No one would ever feel that way. Or people would feel this way about somebody reacting like that or, you know, all those types of things. But I love your comment there though, because this is a, a, a new sensitivity reader that I never thought about, but that is a child for reading a children's book that points through and is, and they will notice the things that only a child would notice necessarily. Like you might've picked up on the fact that you were never smiling, but she noticed it right away. Yeah. I think that we don't give kids enough credit. (laughs) Sometimes like we sit at the table and we create these books and we say, this is going to be a children's book and it's going to take the children's industry by storm and, 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 but we never sit down with the kid to say, well, what do you think about this? Mm -hmm. And then you're at you're at a school and you're reading this book and you think that you're doing a great job. And at the end, the kid goes, well, that was long. (laughs) (laughs) They're not going to lie to you either. They make the best reader. They make the best advanced readers. (laughs) Absolutely. So you're in front of all 23 of them. Like, you're right. I, that was long. And so now I owe you a stretch break and (laughs) let's figure out what this looks like in your classroom. Not that I know anything about that. (laughs) It's so funny that you should say that because I actually just beta tested one of our new children's books on my daughter and she got about halfway through the book and she brought it back to me and she's like, it's a good book. The illustrations are good, but it's kind of long. So it's funny, like she had that same, that same experience, but uh, oh my gosh, so many different. to her. (laughs) Yes, exactly. She's the expert on this one and it'll prevent, it's awkward when 28 kids are like (laughs) on the floor and the teacher just wanted 20 minutes of someone reading something exciting. Yeah, and they're not getting it. They're just not not getting getting it. it. (laughs) (laughs) That is funny. Um, Well, you know what? Let's, let's, let's round back to the like the topic that we were going to start we got i got so excited and went off on these other things that i wanted to discuss that let's talk about why it is so important to have diversity in books and um you mentioned before we started recording about 2016 when a big movement really started to come out about diversity in books so tell us all about that and why it's important Sure. So 2016, I believe it was Lee and Lowe Publishers that released a study that they had done independently about the number of books that were published, children's books that were published each year. And at that point, something like 6% of or less were about children of color or featured children of color as main characters. And then from that number, it was something like 2% were actually written by people of color. So the books were being written, the stories were being told, but not necessarily from our perspective and our understanding. Um, And for me, it was like, wait, what do you mean? Like out of thousands of children's books that only maybe 50 or, you know, some asinine number is either about people that look like me. When I came out of the classroom, every kid in my class practically looked like me. So the idea that I would go to the library or take them to the library and say, hey, let's pick out books because we're going to increase our reading levels. And they're like, well, I don't want to read any of this or I don't see myself in that. That for me was kind of like a light bulb moment. It was like, okay, well, I'm telling you that I need your scores to be better. I'm telling you that I need your reading scores to be better. But then I'm showing you that it doesn't matter because you're not in the book. Um, and so that for me was a huge push to say, mm, okay, all right, let's, let's dig a little bit deeper. 
So 2016 happens, the We Need Diverse Books hashtag comes out, and everybody is all over it. And all of the books came out um, that year. They were geared towards little black girls and their hair. And it was phenomenal. Every book you looked at was, I love my hair, color <laughs> thy fro, a big hair, don't care, right? And I was excited. I went and bought every single one of those books. <laughs> I had a little girl with huge hair. And I was like, oh, this is her. This is her. This is her. And she says to me, mom, you know, I don't like my hair like that. <laughs> Whoops. Whoops. Right now I've got all 10 of the books that came out this year about your big hair. And every day I'm like, let's add the juices, the berries and the water that it takes to make this ginormous fro. And you're like, no, I really want it to be just this smooth, really nice tight bun on the top of my hair because I can play, I can hang out, I can crawl all over the floor, I can do, I can be a kid without worrying about my hair if it's up and out of my face. And I said, all right, cool. Well, that book's not out yet. So let's, let's write it. Okay, Zoe's bun. Here we go. She has big, beautiful, curly hair with a carefree personality all its own, just like her. But on some days, she did not feel like feeling it blow in the wind. And that was it. I knew. I was like, all right, I bought all 10 books. But what about the other mom that's like me that their daughter's like, yeah, I mean, I've got that hair, but... I don't like it like that. Or I have that hair, but it doesn't quite do that. Um, and it became a conversation, right? Like about the hair care products that we're using, um, about whether or not if I use this same product on my hair texture, whether it's going to do the same thing as yours. And it was, it was something that we were all starting to talk about, right? The books <laughs> gave permission to moms and daughters to have the conversations, but then it also gave permission for people in other industries, in the beauty industry, to have the conversations and say, okay, well, maybe this is something that we should look into and explore. And I think that the books kind of kicked it off. The books brought it to the forefront because books allow us to have windows where we can see into other people's lives and other people's moments and also gives us mirrors where we can see ourselves. And I think that diversity in publishing really does support that idea and we can have conversations about books easier than we can just about the hard topic or the elephant in the room. Yeah, and I think um, books allow us, and movies too, any any place or TV shows, any place where you're able to kind of get a snapshot into what somebody else's life is like. And obviously books are a huge deal for me, but as you were having, as, as you were talking about this, I was thinking about like, all the types of books that I grew up reading and how they impacted me. And they all had people who looked like me and reflected my value system. So it never even like, it was never even a thought in my mind about whether or not I enjoyed or could relate to that character because I absolutely could relate to that character because I mean, you know, my favorite book in the whole world is Outlander um, about a woman in Scotland, but she's still, you know, she, she's, she's an English woman who goes time travels in Scotland. She's still a white woman. Like I could understand her and, you know, all, all those kinds of things. So I think it, it really, the first time that it really, what, with the experience that you're talking about, like really hit home for me was you're going to laugh at this, but it was when Black Panther came out because we went to the movie 
that day. We do, I never, it's my rule. I don't care what the movie is. I do not go on opening day to a movie because I do not want to be crammed in a theater and <laughs> all right. that. Like I will go a week later, a week or two later. But so we went to go see a different movie on the day the Black Panther released. And I kid you not, I was almost in tears watching what was happening in that movie theater. Like I'm getting teared up. I'm a very emotional person, excuse me. But seeing all these, not just the children, the like elderly African-American women in their like garb at the like, and seeing this like, yeah, it was was so, it was so moving to me. I was just like, okay, I get it now. I had never really been able to understand this whole representation matters movement, the whole like, you know, being able to see yourself in a character until I saw all these people and the excitement and the emotion and the, and I was like, wow. So I think, um, I guess the point of that is that the more that people who are on the opposite side of the conversation can be exposed to I guess the beautiful part of the conversation, like seeing how it impacts people, not just having the conversation because so often this is how I hear it go. We want more diversity in books. I don't know why you need something just about you. I don't have something just about me, but we do. Every day we do have something just Mm -hmm. about us and it turns really ugly really fast. Yeah, so I think you mentioned the idea about your book. So I grew up in the 80s and the 90s and I'll tell you the two books. Um, that I saw myself in. It was uh, Tar Beach was one of them and it's by uh, Faith Ringgold and it's based off of her quilt and it's a black girl flying over Brooklyn, right? And she's looking at the roofs and that the roof, all the roofs up there are are tar, right? Um, So that was one and it was kind of fantastical, right? Because she's flying. But as far as an everyday depiction, it didn't exist. And then American Girls, um, Addie, that book came out and I checked it out. Like I, I renewed it as many times as I could renew it because it was a brown girl living everyday life. Here was the caveat. She was a descendant of slaves, right? It was set in like, so like, okay, Civil War times and just after, well, I mean, it wasn't my life, but she was a kid like with a family trying to figure out this life. And so that was the one thing that I could relate to she was brown she had a family and it would seem like an everyday something but the truth of the matter is i didn't see those books as a kid it was as an adult that i saw brown characters as the lead brown characters that could very well be me or could be a cousin or a friend or someone else i knew it was adulthood before that happened um and the black panther movie i think was such an incredible um movement because it gave us a reality that typically does not exist. Um, Oftentimes we're relegated to the domestic workers and that sort of thing, but it was the first time big screen that we weren't on the ugly side of things, right? We were heroes and even to this day, I mean, I dressed up. I went to see the movie movie several times, dressed up each and every time and bought the movie and and, and, and did the whole thing and made sure that my son had action figures. And because this was, this was it. Like this was the one time that this was gonna happen. Not sure if it was ever gonna happen again. So let's, let's go and do it. I mean, the same thing that I did with, my, with the books for my daughter. Buy every one of them right. just because right. it may or may not ever come around. Um, so I appreciate you even expressing this, being able to go and not 
ostracizing or ogling, but to be able to really take it in and see it from a different perspective. So thank you for sharing that that experience. Yeah, it was really moving. I mean, I, I, I like I said, I'm a very, I'm still teary-eyed about the whole conversation. Like I am, I am a very emotional person. I'm an empath and I feel, I may not understand your journey or your path, I understand that I've been through some difficult things in my life too. They're not the same and they're not comparable, but I feel when people like, I don't know, that was just, it was, I really, really enjoyed seeing the excitement and the passion and, and it just, it, it changed, it changed a lot of things that I have thought about since then. And it's, it's interesting because you were reflecting about the books that you were reading as a child, you know, while you're finding two books that you could really kind of sort of identify with, I'm reading book after book and the Ramona and her sister and um, Babysitter's Club and Sweet Valley Twins and Sweet Valley, like there were no shortage of books that I Mm-hmm. And consume. I enjoyed all of those books. I just wasn't in those books. Ex- exactly, exactly. So it's it's really interesting. I um so my story started with the loss of um of one of our infant daughters and um, my personal story. And so I'm very involved in the pregnancy and infant loss movement and and all of those types of things. And I thought it was really cool because last year um, I was approached by an author who wanted to write about having her rainbow babies and explaining to her rainbow babies about her experience. And Natasha came to me. And so we have this beautiful book about this family and, and you know, talking about representation to, to my knowledge. I mean, I haven't gone out and researched the entire thing, but to my knowledge, when I look at books that are available for um, women who have experienced loss and miscarriage and talking about topics like this, like I haven't seen a lot that represent African-American or, or women of color and their families. And it's super interesting because white women aren't the only people that have miscarriages. And, you know, it, especially in a topic like that, where it's so like emotional and you need to feel like people understand you and have your back. Like it's been, it's been really wonderful to work with Natasha to go through this experience and to see how it's being received in the world as well. Um, and, and my goal, I mean, I just, I want to see so much more of that happening and getting out there and, and this is important. It just, it's important to have me yeah. in a book. You I, absolutely, and I wholeheartedly agree with that. That book is absolutely necessary. I wish I had had it seven years ago. I'm going to go mm-hmm. ahead and, and get that one. Um, but I think that what happens a lot of times is, from a cultural perspective, and not speaking for all Black people or all Brown people, but um, generationally, there's just been a lot of things that we have not allowed ourselves to talk about publicly. Yeah. There were a lot of things that we said, you know, that happens at home. Um, I can remember. Um, my husband and I had a miscarriage when we first got pregnant and I went to the hospital and I'm going through all of the things and my mother-in-law was just very kind of silent throughout the whole thing Um, then she asked a question she says in this we can cut this part out if necessary but she says you know did you have to have a a DNC and I'm like oh you know we're going to go through the process naturally blah 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 and that was the end of our conversation. But then it turns out that she had had several miscarriages prior to Mm -hmm. having my husband. But still in that moment of parallel, she still could not bring herself to say to me, hey, this has happened. I'm sorry, it's happening to you. Here, 
let me just be by your side and know that you're not alone. Um, and then when I said, I went back to work and it was happening to me, um, another teacher comes over and she's kind of like, hey, you know, happened to me too. It'll, it'll pass. And I'm like, well, nobody's talking about this. Nobody was going to tell me that this was a, a massive possibility. Like, yeah, we're, shh, shh, right. Um, and that movement itself has become a really big, big one, as you said, um, you know, the pregnancy and infant loss prevention month, yep. more Break black women have started saying, Hey, me too. Like it's yeah. happening. It has happened. It's happened for generations. And I've met so many women just by being brave enough to say, it happened to me or, Hey, this is my rainbow baby. Mm-hmm. Um, and then other moms feel empowered enough to say, gosh, thank you. Yeah. Me too. You yeah. know, or, Oh gosh, thank you. Glad I'm not alone. And it has been a wonderful experience. And again, I think it just ties to how books make it okay to say I'm hurting or make it okay to say that I'm healing or that I've experienced something. So I can't wait to get that book up. Yeah, it's a it's a great book. We love it. Yes. Well, I mean, it's interesting because across across the board, I think um, with the with with pregnancy and infant loss, like it's a hush hush type thing. Like it's trying we're trying really hard to, but yeah, I think definitely that you then you have the cultural underlings of it's already a topic nobody wants to talk about, and then we ultra don't talk about it. For sure. Like, oh, no, mom is the nope. word and we are going to, you will get through this just like all the generations before you. And exactly. it's like, come on, do we have to hurt as much, right. you know, unnecessarily, oh. or is there a way for us to talk through our healing or walk through, you know, work our way through it, writing it out, that sort of thing versus just bottling it up and hoping yes. that one day this feeling of loss will pass, maybe. Uh, to your point, though, I agree with you wholeheartedly. Like this is the the magic of of books is that you can take any topic and put it in any genre to help heal, to help teach a story, to help anything. I mean, we've got a children's book here that is now teaching children and and older people. You know that that it's okay to talk about these types of things. It's okay to experience sadness around this topic. But I mean, you can you can broach these and topics in fiction books. You can do a nonfiction book for healing. You know, there's so many, that's just, it's the beauty of being able to share your story, no matter which capacity you choose to, or genre you choose to share it through and make a difference. Um, I wanted to make a comment about the hair issue in particular. Are you, are you familiar with the free the hair movement? Hashtag free the hair. I am not, but I'm going to follow it. Follow it. I will connect you with Wendy Green. She is the um, lawyer behind the entire movement. Uh, She's actually a good friend of mine from high school, middle school and high school. And I saw her starting to put, and speaking of like being educated through what other people around you are doing, like uh, just, this is me just being totally transparent about me and who I am. When I first started her seeing posting the hashtag free the hair, I thought she was joking. And I told her this, like, I thought it was a joke, like, like her just talking about how, you know, we want to, and cause I didn't know, I didn't have this vast experience to what you were saying about products. And, and she goes into so much detail about like the damage when um, Amer- uh, American uh, <laughs> women of color are doing to their scalp and to their hair and to all this kind of stuff with trying to look like, the society thinks their hair should yeah. look. So anyway, I encourage you to look up the free the hair movement. She is moving around the country, like putting laws in place about things that a lot of people 
aren't even thinking about why it matters. Um, sure. And, yeah. yeah. So here's one, your hair, it's beautifully covered, colored, right? There have been a couple of stories where kids have been punished or disciplined at school, children of color, because they have color in their hair and it's considered mm -hmm. distracting and yeah. this, that, and the third, but it's only distracting because it looks different on different textures, but it could yeah. be the exact same color, right. you know, like pink on your hair might be, I can use the exact same bottle, but that pink is going to be different. And I think that what she's doing is absolutely necessary. I mean, the fact that we have to have laws that make it impossible right. to to discriminate based on, on hair is so wild to me, but it's also one of the things that makes us feel as though it's necessary to go yeah. through some of the damage and some of the changes. Cause it's like, is it easier to conform than it is to just fight the fight, you know? So I, I I'm definitely going to check that out because I, I know how important it is. So thank you. Thank yeah, you. Absolutely. Lots of like resources today. Yeah, no joke. <laughs> We're just back and forth. But she's actually um, publishing a book in the spring, I believe, about this whole topic and everything going on with it. So I'm, I'm super excited to be a, a, a rabid fan of hers and what she's doing. Because yeah. again, like... At, you know, what we're talking about here is representation, but also allowing conversations to happen in a way that they weren't happening before. And, and, and especially with children's books, like how are white children, for example, supposed to grow up having any kind of insight into what other people's lives are like if they've never read any books that aren't anything different than what they're doing. So by bringing, you know, it's not just a thing that will help um, marginalized voices. It's something that's going to help everybody because if now my children go to the library, the beautiful thing about children is that, you know, I hate the expression, I don't see color because I don't think that adults are say, are truthful when they say that, but with children, I do. Mm -hmm. I do believe that. I think that they notice, they notice that their skin is different, but it doesn't matter. Like there, it's just kind of like, like, oh, your shirt's black, my shirt's purple. Oh, your skin's brown, mine's peach. You know, and it's yes. just like something that they silver just- Silver and gold. I had kids yeah. tell me, silver and gold. <laughs> right, right. So they just, they just, they just go on with it. Like it's not a big deal. So if we can introduce these books very, very early that kind of teach them about what life is like on the other thing so that they don't wind up 42 years old realizing that hair is a real struggle for an entire group of people. <laughs> you know, yes. It's like, I wish that I had had some of these things introduced to me much, much younger in my life so that I wouldn't feel like such an idiot now going, oh, free the hair, that's funny. And when he's like, it's not really, <laughs> let me tell you about it. <laughs> right, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> And I think that, so even in the work that she's doing and, and others, when they're writing these books, when we're having the conversations at the table, when we sit down with an editor, when we sit down with publishers, um, with the authors, making sure that there is someone that can say, hey, it's not funny because of this, right. and who feels empowered enough to say it versus sitting there and watching the book be hacked to pieces right. and turned into something that it was never intentional intended to be, um, I think is absolutely something that we have to be advocates for and, and to look around the room and say, okay, I don't have the experience with this, or I don't know this, how can we introduce it? So then saying, all right, introducing it from a cultural perspective, but then also looking for it, looking at it from age, because a kid that's four may or may not 
even pick up on peach skin and brown skin versus the kid that's seven. So how are we going to, to offer the balance in those stories and really having those conversations, being willing to sit at the table, have the uncomfortable conversations, grip the edge of the table, like this is making my skin itch, mm -hmm. you know, but I'm still going to sit here and, and say what needs to be said so that it doesn't have to wait till it gets you know, tried in the court of public opinion about whether it was done correctly or incorrectly. Let's have the uncomfortable conversation, take a break if we need to, mm -hmm. and then come back to it, but say that we're going to dig in no matter what the cost to make sure that the original intent was not lost. Yeah, I agree with that so much. And it, it is uncomfortable sometimes, especially if you're the writer and you feel like you really did a good job trying to represent that person. And then to have someone say, mm -mm. I mean, that can get really uncomfortable. And we as writers are like the most sensitive people on the face of the planet, I'm convinced. Yeah. But, um, you know, it, it is, I mean, would you, that's, this is what I actually tell authors that I'm writing with too. In the editing process, I'm like, that when they get so you know, bent out of shape about edits and suggested changes that were put in there. I was like, you need to stop looking at it as a personal attack. You need to start looking at it from the perspective of this person wants your book to be the best possible product it can be so that when you hit publish, somebody else, reviewers don't come and give it one or two stars because they hated this section, even if you thought it was the best section in the book. And I think it applies to this as well. Yeah, not being afraid to, to make the hard cut. You know, sometimes what makes sense to me <laughs> may not make sense to you. And no matter what, if I can't explain it or articulate it in a way that makes sense to you, then that alienates you, which does exactly what I was hoping not to do in the first exactly. place. So yes, for sure. Exactly. I think that's great advice. I'm going to add that to my, my author toolkit. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, before we wrap this up, then let's come back to the original topic at hand. What does it mean for authors who want to be in this, in, in, in this, you know, movement of more diversity in books? What, what, what tools are out there? What resources are out there? Um, if you're listening to this and you are just dying to write a book that represents you, what are the next steps in your opinion? I think the very first one is to be okay with sitting in your truth and your experience. Um, so many times we get caught up in wanting it to be a bestseller or this or that, and we, we falter at sitting in our truths and sharing our truths. Um, as an author, I can speak from a Black perspective. I can speak from a Black woman perspective. I can speak from a parental perspective, but I have to be okay with knowing that every Black person, every Black woman, every woman, every parent isn't going to agree with my perspective. I have to be okay with that. So that would probably be my first one. If you want to tackle diversity, like you've got to be willing to have the tough skin and own your truth enough to, to ride the wave of reviews and comments and mm -hmm. perspectives and opinions and, 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 and still sit in your chair. So that would be my first one. Um, my second tip would be to take a look at what's out there, what already exists, what's mm -hmm. already being said, and considering, am I adding to the conversation? Am I adding to, to this? Am I taking away from it? Or am I just more noise? Is it more background noise? Um, and making the decision that if I can't add to what's already out there, then maybe that's complete. Maybe I need to look at it from another perspective and not being afraid of saying, 
this is a great idea for me right now, but it may not be a great idea for the masses. So not being afraid to, to say, hey, I'm gonna add to the conversation. I'm gonna add to the space. Again, I went and bought every black hair book on the shelf that came out in 2016 for my daughter, right? And every, they're wonderful books. I've got them, I love them, I enjoy them, I take them out. I could have written the same book. I could have gone out and said, all right, <laughs> yes, my hair is happy, right? But it was more important for me to add to the conversation to say, okay, here's a group of books that talk about this topic in this perspective, but also here's another one that offers another perspective that says, yes, my hair can do all of these things that they're talking about, but at the end of the day, I just really want to be able to play and have a good time. Yeah. Oh, those are great. Those are, those are great. And you know what? I want to talk to you about, I want to briefly, you brought up the book, I'm Not Dying With You Tonight. So I went to um, the SEBA conference in um, Greenville this year, mm -hmm. um, Southern Independent Book owners alliance i think is what it stands for and i got to hear that the authors of that book yes. were on a panel were you at that no i was oh, not but i heard them here in atlanta and it was amazing oh my gosh so to your point like they wrote this incredible book and but one of the authors was white a white woman and one of the authors was a woman of color and it just like you know to be able to to blend those together so that they did have like they built their own um their own sensitivity readers into the writing of the book right yes yes they did um so i read the book and i couldn't put it down because I could relate to the black character. It's set in Atlanta, you know, I'm mm -hmm. here, but I never thought about what causes anger to rise up in me could be the very same thing that causes anxiety to rise up in someone else. And so that was a moment for me where I was like, hmm. And I remember having a conversation with my doctor, um, my pediatrician regarding postpartum, right? And she said, what happens is sometimes with women of color, it gets overlooked because it's displayed differently. And so postpartum anxiety and depression comes out as anger and irritation in women of color versus anxiety and, and sadness in, in some other cultures, right? Wow. And when I read that book, I understood it from a child's perspective that what might be frustration and disgust and, and fierceness and, you know, really bold could very well be the very same experience that is causing someone to shrink back or to feel like, what do I do in this? I'm, I'm flailing, I'm not anchored. And yeah. I think that they did a beautiful job of, of painting that picture with the back and forth. So, oh, it's I, well, I, I'm ready to dig into that book over the Christmas holiday. I actually gave it to my sister when I came back. I was so fired up about it, and she was looking for a good book. I was like, you have to read this book. I just heard the authors talk. It sounds so good. So I gave it to her. She just gave it back to me. Now I am totally ready to go read it. But before we... Um, this has... I, I think I could probably interview you for like three hours, but... <laughs> And I, you, I, I want to ask you some questions. We're going to have to do like a follow-up, a we women should. in publishing like reset later. We could, we could totally do a part two. In fact, I'd be happy to have you come on as one of our, um, you know, presenters later on after the conference where we do like a follow-up to this particular um, thing inside the group with our all access, our digital conference pass attendees. Let's do it. I think it'd be amazing. Okay. But. I am sure there are women who are listening to this who are like dying to know how to work with you and who you work with and what you do. So spill the beans. Spill the beans. So <laughs> I uh, work with emerging authors 
um, that is one of my favorite groups in figuring out what is their truth that they're ready to share. Um, and so I specialize in journals, devotionals, children's books, and memoirs. And the process is easy. We talk and see if we're a good fit, you know, because there are a lot of people that do the same thing that I do. So we sit down for a few minutes and discuss the ideas and whether or not I would be able to add value because I feel like if I can't add value, then I'm not the right person, but perhaps I know someone else who is. So we start with that consultation and then we decide, are we gonna write this book together? Are you gonna write this book? And am I gonna poke the holes in it to, to see where it falls apart and needs a little bit more support? Um, and then I do offer publishing as well. So there's some books that I have been blessed enough to come across and I say, this is a story that I can get behind and I have to help you share it with the world. Um, and so that's that. And then there are some times that the book is already written, the work is there. But then what? I've written my book, but what's next? You know, how do I sell it and get it in front of those people? How do I get it in front of the people that are going to buy it that it needs to be for? So really working with authors um, in that space and what it looks like to have publicity surrounding a book, to develop media relationships around that book so that it becomes something, you know, I'm looking at this Rainbow Babies book and I'm like, oh my gosh, I can't wait until next year when I'm all like, hey guys, you guys know that I believe that books heal, help us heal. Here's one that's in this space that I wish that I had had, but really <laughs> encouraging and supporting other authors and writers in figuring out how to share their message. Yeah, because yeah. I think there's more to the story. That's my little tagline. Because there's more to the story, right? There whether is it's more an to the story. Interview or a conversation, whether it's a workbook or it's a visit, whether it's a workshop, whether it's a conference. There's more to the story, whatever it is. So let's get it out there. I love that so much. I do so many of the same things that you do, and I want to come work with you. So <laughs> let's do it. This is. <laughs> That's exactly right. Oh, this has been really, really a great conversation. We are going to get it on the books to do part two of this. So everybody who's watching this live, if you have not gone ahead and gotten your um, digital conference pass, you're going to want to do that so you can join us in the group and hear part two of the conversation where Danielle gets to turn the microphone on me. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Because I, I want to know, right, what makes sense to you outside of of what I'm experiencing yeah. from a window perspective. What can I offer to make sure that the picture that you're seeing through that window is clear? Oh my gosh, that is such a great conversation. I'm excited. I'm excited. Me too, me too. Thank you so much, Alexa. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you. And uh, we did not, what's your website in case people are just listening to this? I don't want them to miss that. Sure, it's www.evydanybooks.com. So that's E-V-Y-D-A-N-I books dot com and across social media i'm at evie danny b e-v-y-d-a-n-i-b awesome we will all be following you now so thank you so thank much you. have a fantastic afternoon you as well take care Thank you for joining us on the Publisher Podcast. We hope to see you back for the next episode. Great, huge thanks goes to Jasmine Commerce for the use of her song. You can find Jasmine on SoundCloud. Go check out all of her music. We'll see you next time.